Well, good morning, New City Church. Great to see all of you here this morning. And across all of our campuses as well, so grateful to have each of you here today. It's such a blessing to gather together and to worship. And I just want to add my voice to the announcements that you've already heard across our campuses today. We're going to be having an interest meeting next Sunday night, August the 4th, at our Matthews East campus. It's going to be at 5 p.m. All of this information is available on our app and online as well. But again, I just want to remind you and give my voice to it. It's going to be a special meeting because we're going to be talking about our newest campus at Idlewild Elementary that's going to be launching this fall. And we're so excited about that. In fact, our leadership team was on campus this week and spent some time with Principal Deneen and her team. And they're, of course, gearing up to, to start the new school year, which will be upon us in a couple of weeks. And one of the things that I noticed was that a lot of the sh uh, worksheets that were uh, stacked up on the tables to go out to parents were in all different kinds of languages. And on the main hallway, there's 40 different flags representing all the different nationalities of students that are gathered at Idlewild Elementary. And what struck me is, as we, uh, with God's grace, have the ability to come into that neighborhood and God willing to reach that neighborhood with the gospel, we can really reach the nations. By reaching the neighborhood of Idlewild, we can reach and touch the nations. And this is such a wonderful opportunity for us. So I don't know where you uh, are right now with your family and where you might be in your prayers on this, but whatever campus you might be attending regularly, I want to encourage you to just enter into a season of prayer that God might be calling you or your family to come and, and help us to launch. And maybe it's just for a season to help us launch, or maybe it's long-term to be there, but we'd love to have you. Interestingly, the, the a neighborhood that has the highest Arabic-speaking population uh, in our city has one of the highest populations in the country, Arabic-speaking uh, uh, populations in the country, is also home to one of the country's highest populations of Romanians. It's a very diverse neighborhood, and we love that. And I just believe that uh, by God's grace, we have something to offer. Uh, Jesus alone, that's what we have to offer uh, through our words and our deeds. But I really believe that the neighborhood of Idlewild and everything surrounding there has something wonderful to offer to our church, New City Church. So uh, would you join us in just a season of prayer for what God wants to do there? And if you're interested at all in what we're going to be doing and launching, uh, come with us next Sunday night, 5 p.m. I'll be there. Travis Janusik, our Matthews East Campus pastor, who's going to become our Idaho Campus pastor, will be there and members of his team. And we'll be sharing more about the vision and hopefully answering some questions. And probably most importantly, we'll be spending some time together worshiping and praying for what God wants to do. Uh, I want to add my voice as well to the School Spirit Project. All of you across our campuses have a, a card in your seat backs or on your seats, and I just want to encourage you to take it with you and to pray over what you or your family might be able to do this year as we bless some 2,600 students across three schools with school supplies. And uh, maybe most importantly, we really bless teachers because what we do is uh, we give every classroom a box of supplies, and the teacher gets to distribute them to their students. Uh, so what we really want to do here is we want to make the teachers the hero of this project, not our church. Uh, we really want to set the teachers up for success. And uh, as, a, as a husband to uh, a former CMS teacher, I can tell you that teachers spend a lot of their own dollars preparing their classrooms. So this is a wonderful blessing to them. It's a ministry uh, where we can be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, to so many people across our community. The gathering places in our city, like it or not, the main gathering places in our city, rallying points in our city are local schools. 
Uh, so when we can enter into those spaces and bless and be the hands and feet of Jesus, we really are doing the work of the gospel. Finally, across all of our campuses today, it's the final weekend of July, which means we have our next step class. And if you're looking to get connected here, we would love to get you connected further. Uh, many of you attend worship in what we call rows across our city at different campuses, but we want to get you into circles. Because uh, we think that there's something beautiful that happens in rows as we gather together in worship, and we want to keep doing that. But there's something beautiful that happens when we enter into circles, into community with one another. And from there, we want you to be arrows that go and serve not only on our campuses, but in our city and across the world. But it starts with taking a step towards community. So if you're in that place individually or as a family, and you're looking to get more connected here at New City, especially as we approach a new school year, would love for you to attend today at 1030 across all of our campuses. And if you can't be uh, there this month, then we'll be doing it again next month. The final weekend of every month, we have our next step class. Let's pray together and we'll jump into the word of God. God, thank you so much for all the wonderful things that you have seen fit to do in and through our church. We're, we're grateful. We're grateful. We want, to, uh, we want to recognize and just thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us, and we want to be a blessing to others through those blessings, whether that's our, our monetary gifts, our, our works of service, whatever that might mean, God, for us, we want to be a blessing to other people. We pray today as we gather and we worship that we would do so in spirit and in truth, and that you would once again speak through your word that is timeless and that pierces through all the realities of our life to get to the very heart of the matter. And we pray that it would do so again today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I wanna ask you a question right up front here. Do you think your life is better represented by a bucket or a funnel? You think your life is better represented by a bucket or a funnel? And maybe more importantly, what does God want our lives to be represented by as Christ followers? Would they be better represented by a bucket to collect or a, a funnel to dispense? I, I hope today's message, as we jump back into our series entitled Scent, will help to ask and answer that question for you. But as we're going through the text today, which can be found in Acts chapters 13 and 14, I hope that you'll think about that question for your own life. Am I a bucket or am I a funnel. Again, last week we started a brand new series entitled Scent. It's our final installment through the book of Acts. We've had two previous series that you can go back and listen to on the app or the website, but this is our final installment, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapters 13 all the way through the end of the book of Acts, which is chapter 28. And believe it or not, this journey through the book of Acts, this final installment will take us all the way to the month of October. So I joked last week, maybe we'll be wearing sweaters when we finish up this series, but not right now. So if you have your scriptures, open them to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be looking at both chapters 13 and 14. And as you're opening there, let me just give a little bit of a reminder of where we were last week because we covered the first four verses. And we, we came into Acts chapter 13 as we began this series by coming into a meeting that the church at Antioch is having. They're worshiping together. And if you'll remember, there were five different prophets and teachers that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, documents for us. They're leading in the church, and they're all mentioned there. Two of those prophets and teachers, we continue with their story. Their names were Barnabas and Saul. But we see the church worshiping, and we talked about last week that we want to worship while we what? While we wait. We want to worship while we wait. 
as the church is waiting on the Lord to speak to them specifically about mission and where they're going to be sent, specifically what they're going to be doing on, on, in the name of the Lord, what, what their specific purpose and mission is. And I know many of you are in that place individually or as a family or some of you who are leading organizations, you're waiting to hear God speak in a specific way. What's my mission? What's my purpose? And what, what we talked about last week is as you're seeking the Lord, which is a wonderful thing to do, you can still worship him while you wait. Before you hear from the Lord specifically in your life on an issue that you're wrestling with, you can choose to worship him, and worship is a choice. We choose to worship God for who he is, especially in the midst of our struggles, our disappointment, our pain, our confusion. All of those things should drive us to the feet of Jesus, to worship him for who he is before he even speaks something specifically. And that's what we see the church at Antioch doing. They're worshiping while they're waiting. But moreover, they also were willing to give their best. We talked about the fact that as they're worshiping and they're fasting and they're seeking the Lord and they're wanting to know what their specific mission is for their church, they're worshiping him, but they're willing, they have a willful heart to give their best. And the Holy Spirit speaks to the church. Do you remember what the Holy Spirit said? I want you to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I'm calling them to. And we talked about the fact that Barnabas and Saul represented uh, two of five great leaders that were leading the church of Antioch, two of the best leaders that Antioch had to offer. And we talked about the fact that what this represents in this passage, Acts 13, is the willingness to give our best. It would have been very easy for the church of Antioch to say, no, we're not going to give up these two leaders. These are two great leaders who have been a big part of our ministry and our life here. We, what are we going to do without them? There's, we got plenty of problems here in our own church, in our own city. We don't want to send people out. We want to hold on to them. But that wasn't the attitude they had. They had an attitude that was willing to give their best. And we talked about this last week, guys, that when God asks us to give, he asks us to give our best. He asks us to give our best, to be willing to sacrifice and to give our best, trusting Trusting, right, finally, with open hands that as we give, we'll also be in a posture to do what? To receive. The same posture that allows me to give generously is the same posture that allows me to receive abundantly. And as we give the blessings of God to other people, we're also in a position to receive the blessings. And that's what we see the church of Antioch doing. They, they lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas and they send them out. We talked about last week, they didn't grab a hold of them and say, no, you're ours. These are our blessings. This belongs to us. No, they had open hands to commission them and send them out. And then we got to this final verse that we covered last week, uh, verse 4a, and these final two words that being sent out by the Holy Spirit, these final two words were the last words we used last week. You remember them? They went. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. Paul and Barnabas went, which begs the question, where did they go? And that's the question that we want to answer today by looking at the rest of chapter 13 and into chapter 14, because in Acts 13 and 14, we see the very first missionary journey being recorded by Luke for the early church. This is the very first missionary journey, the sending out of a group of people. And it's Barnabas and Saul specifically, 
and they're on a journey of ministry being commissioned out by the church at Antioch, and this is where they were sent. I brought a map today to show you for all of you who are visual learners. This represents the very first missionary journey and documented where they went, all the different various cities of where they went. And it's, you'll notice it's, it's a circle. They start in the city of Antioch being sent out by the church. They travel down to the port city. They get on a boat. They go to Cyprus. They go all around, and then they end back in Antioch. They traversed some 900 miles. And most commentators believe that this very first missionary journey, Barnabas and Saul, that they walked. There was no Uber, right? There's no light rail. There's none of that stuff. It's either by sea, and most of the time it was walking. It was hoofing it. And they walked, most commentators believe, some 15 miles a day when they traveled. 15 miles is a lot. Uh, some of you are runners in here. I used to run, and I've, I've you know, really come to my senses now in my, my old age, and I walk now. I'm a power walker now, so I've got the headband. I'm doing the whole thing, and I love walking. I love walking. I can actually have a conversation. When I was running, it was just a survival shuffle and just trying to stay alive until I finished. 15 miles is a lot. It's a lot. And not only that, but they, they walked 15 miles and then they would do what? And when you read the scriptures, which I would encourage you to do today, church, that you would go and read Acts 13 and 14 for yourself because today's message is really just a survey to hopefully whet your appetite to go and read it for yourself and all the different instances and things that happen in this first missionary journey. But not only would they walk 15 miles, but then they would preach and they would minister and they would do all sorts of things. These guys were committed. And the mission begins, if you looked at the map, the mission begins on the island of Cyprus. And so interestingly, Cyprus was Barnabas's home. That's where he was born and raised. He ended up in Jerusalem, but he was born and raised on the island of Cyprus. And that's right where this very first missionary journey begins. And oftentimes, it's interesting, God will sometimes bring us back to the places where we started, to the people that we started with, and allow us to come back and to minister in a new way because of the faith that we found in Jesus. And maybe that's the case for some of you in your own life. Uh, some of the places that you were born and raised, some of the people that you grew up with, and you can re-intersect with them, but you're a different person. Anybody a different person in here? You've got a different story to tell. So Barnabas is back in his home, the island of Cyprus, and he has a different story to tell. He's met Jesus. He's been sent out, and he's a part of this first missionary journey. So what I want to teach today, again, by way of survey of this first journey that's captured in Acts 13 and 14, a very important section in our story of Acts, I really want to do this by way of survey. And so it's an overview that, again, is meant to drive you down in the scriptures yourself. And I hope that you'll read along with us as we journey through this series, and you'll study and you'll discuss it in your various groups and, and your family, in fact, at the dinner table. You'll talk about this series and, and journey with it together. So here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to teach it. I want to talk about some key points, and I want to talk about some key patterns of this first missionary journey that's found in Acts 13 and 14. So I've creatively entitled this first point, key points of the first missionary journey. So if you're taking notes on the app or you're writing them in the sermon journal, write down key points and write some of these things down because this is important to see in this very first journey captured in Acts 13 and 14. This is the first planned evangelistic event 
in the book of Acts for the early church. Now, evangelism has happened. Evangelism meaning the telling of the story of Jesus and the gospel to other people. That has happened in the first 12 chapters. But this is the first planned event, the, the first planned trip, if you will, with a, a specific purpose of telling other people about Jesus. And this is a very important point for us to notice. And moreover, it's also the first planned effort to reach Gentiles as a people group. Now, Gentiles have been reached in the first 12 chapters of Acts, non-Jewish people, Gentiles. But this is the first planned event or trip, if you will, with the specific purpose of reaching a specific people group. And you go, Chris, why is that so important? It's important because what we see here in Acts 13 and 14 in our text today is the first organized mission trip with the specific goal of reaching lost people, people who don't know Jesus. And it represents the church becoming more organized and intentional about its efforts to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful example for us as a church collectively and individually as the church going out into our city and world, that the church begins in Acts 13 to become much more intentional, strategic, planned, and organized in the way that they're speaking about Jesus to other people people. The journey also occurs 17 years after the ascension of Jesus. So if you're thinking about a timeline from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 13, we talked about this last week, some 17 years have passed. Do you remember where you were 17 years ago? Some of you weren't born yet. Uh, that's a lot of time. And we could probably uh, think on that a little bit further of, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It just is. It took 17 years for the very first missionary evangelistic journey to, to take place. And you'll remember as Jesus is ascending, he's giving instructions to his disciples and he says to them, you're gonna be my witnesses, specifically in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what was the fourth part of it? The ends of the earth. And make no mistake, what we're talking about today begins the final part of that scope that Jesus gave to us as the church, to be his witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And this first missionary journey is going to different places beyond Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the known ends of the earth at this time. And again, it occurs some 17 years after Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1. Finally, just some points from this first missionary journey to, for us to understand and know together as a church. This journey brings both rejection and acceptance of the gospel. And I know this isn't like new information and, and really earth shattering, but it's important for us to note as we study this, that the gospel is both received by groups of people and it's what? It's rejected. In the same way that it is today, as we go forth in the name of Jesus with our actions and with our words, proclaiming Jesus as the one true Lord and God of the universe, as we, as we go forth on behalf of, uh, of the name of Jesus and we're witnesses in the same way that the early church was, we can expect that the gospel of Jesus will be both rejected and accepted. Specifically, look at Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 21. Again, this first journey is full of so many stories, we can't hit them all today, but this one is definitely worth recognizing. Some Jews follow Paul and Barnabas on this journey, and they follow them specifically from Antioch. Now, there were two different Antiochs, okay? There was the original Antioch that they came out from. There was another Antioch that they journeyed through. This is the second Antioch, and another place called Iconium. And then they come, uh, th these Jews come, and they, uh, they begin to talk among the crowds that Paul and Barnabas are ministering to in this first missionary journey. And then this, this, this is what happens next. They stoned Paul. And they dragged his body out of that town 
and left him for dead. And the Bible says here in this passage that the disciples, verse 20, Acts chapter 14, gather around him, probably to pray over him, and maybe even to say goodbye to him. And what happens next? Paul gets up on his feet and just sort of, that was weird. And all it says here is that they entered into the next city and he and Barnabas went to Derby and they preached the gospel and many disciples were made and the story just continues on. But I think when you're stoned to death and you're dragged out of the city, it's worth us noticing that Paul was rejected. The gospel was rejected in a very vivid and real way. He was killed and left for dead. And miraculously, he recovers. And without any fanfare, he just gets up and goes to the next city and does what? Preaches the gospel. I'm just gonna tell the next person about Jesus. I'm gonna shake it off and move on with my mission. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when, when I get rejected or I feel rejected or maybe you feel rejected sometimes, even if it's in the name of Jesus and you're trying to do it, and you, you take that really personally and you can kind of just turn inward. And I think this is a wonderful example of Paul going, that was weird, and just moving on with his life and his mission on to the next person that Jesus has for him to minister to. But the gospel is also accepted. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 46 specifically. Paul and Barnabas both speak out. Most of the time, it's Paul doing the speaking. But this time, the, the scripture is recorded, Luke records it, that it was Barnabas and Paul speaking to the crowd, namely of Jews. And they say to them, you've rejected the message of Jesus. You've cast aside eternity with Jesus. So we're doing what? We're turning our attention now to whom? To the Gentiles. Your rejection has led to acceptance from other people. We're moving on to the next person. And I know this oversimplifies, guys. I know it oversimplifies uh, just the work of God and the sovereignty of God and salvation. And God is the God of salvation. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And unless they're um, prompted by the Holy Spirit and drawn by the Holy Spirit, we don't believe that anyone comes to God. But let me say this. And this whole idea of rejection and acceptance of the gospel, and again, I know it's an oversimplification, but stay with me. God is in management, and we're in sales. God is in management, and we're in sales. God is sovereign over salvation. He draws people to himself, men, women, and children. But it's our job as Christ followers to go and tell, to be faithful witnesses to everybody that we come across. It's not our job to determine who comes to Jesus. We couldn't do that even if we tried. It's our job to be faithful witnesses. God didn't call you, everyone watch this. God didn't call you to be successful. In your missionary journeys and the various places and, uh, of work and business and education, all different places that all of you will fill tomorrow as you go back to work on Monday morning, all these places that you've been sent out into, God didn't call you to be successful. God called you to be faithful. He called you to be faithful. Success is in his hands. And oftentimes, friends, we don't know where we enter into someone's story. Are you with me on that? As you're sharing Jesus with people, as you're demonstrating Jesus to people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your families, in the city and around the world, we don't know where we enter into someone's story. Someone may have been talking to this person that we're intersecting with for years and years and years. 
and you're just the person that it has the privilege that God uses to usher them into a relationship with Jesus. But someone marched the ball all the way down the field and got it to the goal line. And just because you punched in doesn't mean that you scored. God did all of the work. And he uses us in the ways that he sees fit. And some of you will enter into someone's story very early on, and you have no idea years and years and years down the road how God will use that. You're not responsible for that. You're responsible to be faithful. And we see that from this first missionary journey. So how about a couple of key patterns? We talked about key points. Now let's talk about some key patterns, some things for us to see that are very applicable in our own sending out as a church and as the people of the church in our city and world. Again, all from Acts chapter 13 and 14. The first pattern that I want you to see here in this first missionary journey is that Paul typically starts in Jewish synagogues. For most of you, this isn't new information, but typically on these journeys, and we're going to see a second missionary journey and a third missionary journey recorded as we walk through the book of Acts, oftentimes as they enter into these new cities, they'll start with a gathering of Jewish people, many of them who are a part of the diaspora, who scattered during the persecution of the church and have now set up synagogues in different places around the known world. And oftentimes Barnabas and Paul will walk into those places and begin to preach the gospel. And this is important to note that Paul typically starts in these Jewish synagogues. Paul is known as an apostle to the whom? Gentiles. But interestingly, he has a wonderful heart for Jews as well. And many Jewish people come to faith in Jesus because of the ministry of Paul. And I think it's a wonderful point for us to see here that as we remember Paul's background as being a Jew, and he says a Jew of Jews, in fact, a Pharisee, an expert in the law, a Pharisee of Pharisees with all kinds of pedigree to go along with that. And he says later on in his writings, I consider all that stuff for loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. I don't consider any of my pedigree even worth talking about other than that I'm a child of God through Jesus. That's all that matters to me. But I want you to see something important here. Paul used his pedigree, his background, his Jewishness, if you will, to reach a Jewish audience. And God wants to use your background and how he's wired you to reach various people in your life. Those of you who are engineers in the room, you can have a conversation with a fellow engineer that I could never have. I would be lost. I went to church school. I don't know. I can't, lines and things don't make any sense to me about how things are built or any of that. You can have that conversation those of you who are physicians and teachers and have all kinds of different backgrounds, you're designers, you'll be able to speak to an audience of people that many of us won't be able to. God will use who he's made you to be to reach that group of people. So don't look down upon that. Your background, everything about you, Paul leverages it all to reach this audience. He doesn't use his pedigree to build himself up. He uses his pedigree and his background, his experiences to be a platform to reach other people. And that's a great example for each of us. To the Jews, this is important to see in this first missionary journey. To the Jews, Paul and Barnabas open up the scriptures, the Hebrew Testament, and they begin to preach Jesus as the fulfillment of everything that they've taught and learned in their life. Jesus is be the better Moses. Jesus is the better Abraham. The, all the stories that a good Jew would have known, they begin to present Jesus as the fulfillment of all of those stories. And we know that to be true. But for the Gentile audience who doesn't have a background, they don't know the stories. They didn't read the Hebrew Testament. You'll notice here the very first speech that's given in the book of Acts happens right here in our text to a non-Jewish audience, the, like a worldview Jewish audience. They didn't have any background in the worldview and understanding of, of Judaism. 
And it's the first time that we see Paul and Barnabas entering into that story in a different way. And that speech basically is about God being one, that there's one God. It's, it's square one, starting at the very root of who God is, and then building up to Jesus. So with your different audiences, and many of you are at different places on the faith spectrum. For some of you, you grew up in church. You learned a lot of the stories that then hopefully have been embedded in your heart, and that one day you see Jesus as the fulfillment of all those things that you learned. For some of you, you didn't grow up with any kind of a church background. And culturally, more and more people just demographically did not. And we've got to think about how we engage that group of people. And it's not better than or less than, it's just different. And here's the thing, New City Church, the message doesn't change. It's Jesus, 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 high and lifted up. But the methods have to change. The way we speak, the stories we tell, we're getting this right from the first missionary journey. Paul speaks in a different way to a Jewish audience than he does to a Gentile audience. And in the book of Acts itself, and we'll get there, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter stands up and preaches Pentecost, he quotes the scriptures to the men of Israel who would have known these scriptures. When he gets to Mars Hill, and we'll get there in Acts chapter 17, and he's got a full Gentile audience, he starts talking about a poem that they would have known, a top 40 hit on the radio. And he says, you sing this song and you quote this poem, but do you know who you're singing about? You're singing about Jesus and you didn't even know it. The message is the same, but the methods have to change. And that's modeled for us in this very first missionary journey. In fact, this is the first text where we see Saul being known as Paul. Acts chapter 13, verse nine. And we've talked about this before. This was not a name change. Saul was his Hebrew name and Paul was his Roman name. And because he is primarily an apostle to Gentiles, to Romans, what name does he take on? Paul. You can call me whatever you want to call me, is basically what Paul is saying, as long as the message points to Jesus. I'm willing to even change my name to be known as my Roman name and not my Hebrew name if that helps me to connect with you and to share Jesus with you. This is a wonderful example for us, church. But second pattern that we need to see is that there's both demonstration and proclamation, just like there has been all throughout the book of Acts. There's demonstration and proclamation that leads to an understanding of Jesus. Barnabas and, and Paul used a combination of miraculous demonstration and verbal proclamation to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to their various audiences in different cities and this first journey. And here are just a, a, really quickly, a couple representative examples from this first missionary journey of this pattern of demonstration, proclamation, demonstration, proclamation, word, deed, deed, word, back and forth. I'm gonna tell you about Jesus. I'm gonna show you about Jesus. I'm gonna show you about Jesus. I'm gonna tell you about Jesus. Actually, chapter 13, 5, they proclaimed the word of God to the synagogues of the Jews. They preached. Acts 13, 12, when he saw what had occurred, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I saw something, I heard something. 13, 32, we bring you the good news. We preach the good news to you. 13, 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly to the people. 14, 3, they remained a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, and God granted them signs and wonders to be done by their hands. I spoke to you 
you, I showed you something. Demonstration, proclamation, 14.7. They continued to preach the gospel wherever they went. 14.15, we bring you good news that you should turn from the things in vain that you're living towards and that you should look to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. 14.21, they preached the gospel in all of the cities that they went to. Word, deed, word, deed, demonstration, proclamation, a wonderful pattern for us to look at in our own sending out as people of the church. And then finally, the, probably the greatest example of this back and forth between demonstration and proclamation happens on the very final moment of their missionary journey, which circles all the way back. Remember the map. They end back up in where? In Antioch, the very church that sent them out. And the scripture says in 26 through 28, chapter 14, 26 through 28, that as they came back there, they sailed back to, to Antioch, where they were commended by the grace of God for their very first journey. They gather the whole church together, and they begin to tell them the various stories of what happened on the journey. And specifically that God had, I love this language, it's so beautiful, that God opened a door to the Gentiles, to an unreached people, and gave them favor to preach about Jesus. And it says they spent a lot of time with the disciples there at Antioch. And I, I love this point. I want to foot stomp it for our church. That Antioch, the sending out church, the missional church that, that initially sends out the very first team into mission into the world is a church that's also built up. The church that sends out is built up. They hear all the stories about what happened. They're the first ones to hear the blessing of what happened in the Gentiles and all these different places where the gospel hasn't been preached. And so the church that sends out people into the city and world is also built up. The church that is missional is also being discipled and developed in a, in a courageous and intentional way. And we see the, the very first missionary journey ending there with the, with the missional church that sends out being encouraged and discipled and built up. So finally today, back to our bucket and funnel. Are you a bucket or are you a funnel? Let me, let me make the final case here for being a funnel and not a bucket from actually from a, another place in the scripture that you may kind of go, what does this have to do? But stick with me here for just a couple minutes and I'm done. In Genesis 11, we see something really curious happen. Some of you remember, it's the pentacle of humanism of man's effort to do it on their own. It's a story called the Tower of Babel. And all the people of the earth spoke one language and they gather together, they wanna to stay in that one place and they build this tower to heaven to reach the heavens on their own, their own efforts, their own work. We can do it on our own. And they build this tower to make a what? To make a great name for themselves. The pentacle of humanism and the whole idea of philosophically of humanism. We can do it on our own, our own efforts, our own merits. We can even get to heaven and we'll make a great name for ourselves. And I want you to see this as we journey through the book of Acts because one of the things that's recorded in the book of Acts, of course, is the birth of the church. It's what's known as Pentecost in Acts chapter two. And I would submit to you this, that Pentecost in Acts chapter two, the coming of the Holy Spirit, to the church to minister to people of all different nationalities and all different places was the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Now stick with me for a second. 
The Tower of Babel was about building a name for ourselves and keeping one language by staying gathered together. Pentecost, God granted through the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the speaking of tongues of different languages so that people who were gathered in Jerusalem from all different nations could hear about Jesus in their own native tongue and be scattered to the nations to lift up Jesus. So we gather together as a church, but not to make a great name for ourselves. We gather to be reminded of the truth and then to scatter and make the name of Jesus great, not our own names. And you remember what happens, I'm out of time here, but you remember what happens in Genesis chapter 12? Right after the pentacle of humanism, this whole idea of a group of people who were just gonna be a bucket and keep everything for themselves, a man named Abram was called to leave his home and go to a place that God would show him. And God said to Abram in his calling, I'm going to make your name great. I'm gonna bless you. But then there's these two very important words in Genesis 12. So that, I'm going to bless you so that you can what? So that you can be a blessing to other people. And he says, in fact, Abram, through your family, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, let me just make this point, okay? Because through Jesus, we are children now of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And because of Jesus, I am one of them, and so are you. And I'll stop the song there. We're not going to clap and just bless the Lord. But I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about that for a second as we finish today. You are a part of the promise of God. Through Jesus, you have been engrafted into the promise, the family of God. And it's not just to carry around a bucket of your blessings and to hold on to them. Because when it's a bucket, they belong to me. And I get to decide who I want to dispense my blessings to. I'll, I'll, you look like a nice guy. I'm going to give you some blessings. Oh, my, my blessing bucket is running low. I, don't, I, can't, I can't give it to anybody else. I got to hold on to it for myself. This is what the Israelites did on their journey to the promised land. When God gave them manna, they stored it and it rotted because God said, I want you to trust me every single day that I'm going to give you manna and provide for you, blessing for you, enough for you. When we, when we think that we're a bucket, we just hold on to our blessings, they belong to us, and we get to decide. When I'm a funnel, when my life is a funnel, I couldn't stop it if I wanted to. When blessings come into my life, they flow out from me to other people, because that's the whole point of being blessed by God. It's not that you're just blessed and living your best life now, that you're living your best life because of Jesus for other people. And that your best life is always a towel and a basin on your knee washing dirty feet. It's giving of yourself. Blessed. Yes, we are blessed people because of Jesus. But we're not blessed for ourselves. We're blessed to be a blessing. And that's the, that's the, the point here is that we can carry around a bucket. And there are a lot of buckets here in Acts 13 and 14 of just keeping our blessings to ourselves. Or we can be a funnel what we see in this first journey, this first team going out and just allowing the blessings of God to flow through them in every city and every place that they go. Final point here, Andy Stanley says this, Pastor Andy Stanley at North Point says this. It's not your job, everyone watch this. It's not your job to fill up anyone else's cup. But it is your job, Christ follower, it is your job to pour yours out. Not your job to fill up anybody else's heart. Only God can do that. 
But it is your job as a Christ follower to pour your heart out, to give the blessings that you've been given by God to other people. In this life, I can collect my bucket of blessings or I can be a funnel of God's blessings to other people. I think this first missionary journey makes it clear that God wants us to be funnels, funnels of his love and his mercy, his truth and his grace into a city and a world that desperately needs to see it and to hear it. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for all the ways that you have blessed us. And the greatest of these blessings is Jesus. And we're so grateful today for the gift of Jesus in our lives. But God, we want to be a church, we want to be a people that is not just blessed, but that becomes a true and vivid blessing to other people, people in our church, people in our city, people around the world. So we ask and we we indeed, we, we beg of you today, God, that you would see fit to continue to work in us and also through us. Now give us the wisdom to know what you're speaking to us today specifically through your word. And now give us the faith and the courage to obey. In the name of Jesus, amen.